And I love our theme this year, Jesus Above All, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to start in Colossians chapter 1, so if you'll open your Bibles there with me, Colossians chapter 1. This is where our theme comes from, and I want to read to you a text about Jesus being above all, that is, having the preeminence. We're going to talk about that word, and uh, then uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 7. When I was in my study... Uh, looking at this text, and I just asked the Lord, I don't know how you do in your study when you're reading and coming across things, but as I was looking at the verse we're about to read or the passage in Colossians, I just asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what does this look like for Jesus to be above all, for Jesus to have the preeminence? What does this actually look like? And I felt as though he led me to a text in Luke 7. So we're going to go there in just a minute and take a practical look at what it is like if Jesus has the preeminence in our life, okay? Now, there's a lot of stuff that uh, goes on in the world that we're in. Maybe some of you have made your resolutions. Um, I've made one to contact my homeowners about how late they can do fireworks. Uh, I barely got an hour's nap or something before. It was crazy, man. If you live in my neighborhood, can I get an uh-huh? Anybody? All right. It's crazy, man. Crazy. And some of you may have been doing it. I don't know. So. <laughs> this morning in the first service, man, it was slim pickings. I, I looked around and I thought, my soul, I was reminded of the story of the denominational leader who came to a church and he was the guest speaker. And he looked around and saw just a few people and he said to the host pastor, he said, didn't you advertise that I was coming? And, uh, and he said, well, no, we didn't, but it looks like word got out anyway. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh well. Colossians chapter 1, let's take a look there, Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. I'm in uh, verse 16 there. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Amen. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The preeminence. It's important that we give to God the preeminence. Would you agree? Yeah. What exactly does that mean? Well, if you want to fill in the uh, spot there in your study sheet, and I hope that you're taking some notes, the word preeminence in the Greek is the word proteo, and it literally means to be first, to hold the first Place. May I say it to you this way? It does not mean that he is among the first. It does not mean that he is one of several things you consider important. It means he is the first. Amen? Amen? Yes. The first. Now, there are many resolutions, and over the time, maybe you've done like some people do. You know, last year, some people made the resolution. They said, you know, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And this year it was modified to, I'm, I'm going to try to catch the podcast every week. And then last year it was, I'm going to read 20 books. And then this year it's, I'm going to read at least one of the five books I bought last year. So we just modify things as we go. 
And uh, the truth of the matter is that one of the things we ought to do is make sure, above all else, Jesus is first. First. In every area of our life. May I say this, please, and let it soak in. Whether it be family, whether it be business, whether it be church, whether it be anything, Jesus first. It's a simple thought, but it needs to resonate with us today. It really does. In Luke chapter 7, we have this tremendous story. Some of you are familiar with it. I think I may have even preached on this text since I've been your pastor uh, for the last two years now. And um, I'm honored to be your pastor. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I think we have a great church, a loving church. But I want to tell you, we've got to put Christ first. We've got to. And if we're already doing that, we need to keep him in that position of preeminence. If we're not doing it, we need to start. And uh, again, back to this idea of preeminence. What does it look like? Uh, Well, in in my study time with the Lord, I felt like he led me to this passage. This is a story of a woman. We we don't know exactly who she is, although I have a a theory on it that others tend to agree with as well. Some other uh, people who know the Bible and They tend to believe it may also be this person we're going to talk about a little bit. But what we do know is it's a woman who sets for us an example of what it is like to put Jesus first. So we're going to pick apart this story. And in order to get the full picture, I'm going to do a little bit of reading. And I'm going to kind of stop and do some explaining as we go for those that may not be familiar with it. Okay, we're going to pick up in verse 36. So if you're there, say I'm there. Verse 36, Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, I would encourage you, I have the word was underlined in my Bible. That's very important. So you can uh, remember that. She was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, Uh, Right away, I want you to understand something. She was not invited. Now, I don't know if I'm the only person that seems odd to, but just imagine for a moment that you're sitting at home today, and you've invited another family from the church to join you, and here comes a stranger to you. And they just walk in. And there they are at the table with you. And you're wondering, what in the world? Now, you know who she is, perhaps, as Simon did. Jesus obviously knows her, but she was not invited. So the Bible says she brings this alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at the feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Now let me pause a moment. That may seem a little bit strange to some as they read this. What does it mean to stand at someone's feet? Well, uh, the wealthier homes during Jesus' day, when you walked in the, uh, the foyer, if you will, or the foyer for some of you, when you walked into that portion of the house, it, you, you would go up to another level where they would sit and eat. So imagine for a moment that there's an elevated platform, something like this platform that I'm speaking from. And, and what would have happened is, as you came in the door, you would have come around to the elevated portion. The wealthier homes had this in their homes because dust from the street would have come into the house on a regular basis. And if you were elevated, you had less dirt falling on your food. Amen? 
And so, uh, but, but then the Bible teaches us, and this, the custom of the day was actually to recline. So picture, if you will, a bench here, and Jesus reclining on that bench as he ate. We obviously, most of the time, sit up and eat, then recline. Amen? Uh, <laughs> while the football game is on, which I didn't talk about today, you'll notice. I just, uh, that was for all of our Ohio people. I didn't want to mention to you what happened and bring that up. So I won't mention to you what happened to Ohio State yesterday. We won't talk about Urban Meyer. We won't talk about how they were shut out. We won't mention that. Anyway, all right. Several people greeted me this morning with Roll Tide. By the way, we have a Georgia invasion on us today. We have uh, Gene Clifton from Conyers and the Smelters from Winder, uh, Bethlehem, Georgia. So we welcome you. Georgia won yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. Imagine that. Georgia, no. Where was I? Okay. Uh, so we, we eat and then recline, but Jesus, he would have been reclining on the bench. So the woman would have come in and stood where the feet of Jesus were at that elevated. So it makes sense now that she's standing at the feet. The Bible says she's weeping. She's obviously very emotionally involved here. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute, but keep the picture in your mind. Verse 38, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, now this is an interesting thing. He, he's not saying it out loud, but Jesus knows what he's thinking. And by the way, he knows what we think. Amen. Amen. That is uh, a fundamental difference between God and the devil and his demons, by the way. They do not, the devil and the demons do not know your thoughts, but you give them a whole lot of clues. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and so they'll speculate some, but God, obviously, he knows your thoughts. So the Bible says he thought within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman, notice this phrase, this is, who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Now I asked you earlier to underline the word was. She was a sinner, the Bible says. Simon says she is a sinner. Sometimes people's opinions are not accurate, by the way. And uh, you ought to care less about them. Amen. Amen. She does. Matter of fact, I want you to notice with me how much time she spends on Simon in this whole story. None. <laughs> she doesn't even think about him. Doesn't consider him. You know why, don't you? Because Jesus had the preeminence in her life. She was focused on Jesus, and that's what we ought to focus on. We get, we get, things, we get so distracted sometimes. Amen. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Now there are many who believe, and I, I am among them, but there are many who believe that the text suggests that Simon is anticipating a great compliment here. That it would have been normal for a guest brought into a wealthy home to have done a little bit of bragging on the guest or on the host, I should say. And, and so, so Simon is probably thinking in his mind, oh yeah, he, he wants to say something to me. It's probably about how nice my house is. Or it's probably about the food that I put on the table. I mean, man, it is something. 
Or it's probably about how, uh, how generous I was and, and how hospitable I am. He probably has something to brag on me about. But that's not what Jesus says at all. Instead, he enters into a parable with him. Verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But get the picture. One owes 10 times what the other one does. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them, notice this statement, will love him more? Now, Jesus draws the attention to the word love. He said, which of them will love him more? So Simon answered and said, I suppose one whom he forgave more. I suppose, he said. So then the Bible says, and he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman. Now I want you to get this picture because he's looking at the woman, but he is speaking to Simon, the Bible says. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in, since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, I want you to get this, this is important. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Notice it doesn't say your sins will be forgiven or that you are in the process of being forgiven, but your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Now, if you're taking notes and you have a study sheet today, I hope that you do. Our new bulletin, of course, will not allow an insert. So you have to take it along with it. So if you got a bulletin, I hope that you did. We're giving away some magnets today that uh, we hope that you get one of those for your fridge as well. And uh, take that and maybe pin your announcements to your refrigerator door to keep track of all that. But if you have a study sheet, you want to write this down. Number one, these are four indicators that we have made Jesus the preeminent one in our life. Number one, anticipation of his presence. Anticipation of his presence. I want you to see this woman with me for just a moment. The Bible tells us in the version that we're reading from, uh, the New King James, it says that when she knew that Jesus sat at the table. Other versions say things like when she heard or when she found, when she found out. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that somewhere, somehow, she heard Jesus was coming to Simon's house. So where does she go? To Simon's house. She didn't need an invitation. She didn't care if she was perceived as being rude. She didn't care what Simon even thought, which was not well of her. Can I get an uh-huh? Amen. She said Jesus was there and that was good enough for her. She was going where Jesus is. Amen. I want to ask you this question as we think about this. Do you live your life anticipating time with the Savior? I'm talking about what some call quiet time. I'm talking about what some call devotionals. I'm talking about that time when you get alone with God and you spend some time praying and you spend some time reading. 
Did you know statistics say and the survey shows that less than 31% of those, hear me now, less than 31% of those who claim to be evangelical, born again believers, less than 31% say they have successfully found time for daily devotion. If that statistic runs true, then less than three out of 10 in our congregation actually have a devotional time. Why is that important? Well, there are many benefits to devotions, many benefits. What are some of those? Well, obviously, uh, it gives you a chance to meet with the Lord and pour your cares out to Him in prayer. Gives you a chance to, uh, to praise Him. Gives you a chance to read the Word of God and increase in your knowledge of the Word of God. When you do that, your faith will increase. Your strength will increase. You will have a preparedness for spiritual warfare as you face the day that you would not otherwise have. You'll develop guidance in your life and understanding of things that happen around you. You'll have a peace, literally an order will be set for everything in the course of your day when you will spend time with him. Inevitably, the devil fights this, does he not? Some of us are well-intended and we're sitting here today and we're probably saying to ourselves, you know, I'd like to do that. I've talked about doing that. I just haven't done that. I just, I can't find time to do that. Well, let me tell you something. If the Lord Jesus occupies the preeminent place in our life, we will make time for that. We will anticipate being in his presence. When you pillow your head at night, you ought to be thinking in some terms of when you awake in the morning, the first thing you're going to do is spend time with the Lord. And eventually, ladies and gentlemen, and some of you who have done this, you can testify to this. Eventually, you will come to the place to where everything seems out of place if you don't do that. That you feel as though you've really missed out on something uh, if you slept in and, and didn't get that time in with the Lord. And so let me encourage you to do that. It's important that we take the benefits. The songwriter said it this way, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. There'll be times in your life when you get alone with God, you're not going to want to leave that place. And I want to encourage you today, the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That term, draw near, is an important term. It literally is referring to what the Old Testament priests did as they approached going in to do service for the Lord. That is, they got some things right with God and they went in to meet with Him. So let me encourage you, every morning, whether you're a teenager or an adult, a senior saint, you should set aside time and carve out time, anticipate time with the Lord. If you're not doing it, I want to say to you, really, you cannot say he is preeminent in your life. He is preeminent in your life. Anticipation of his presence. Second on the list, let me call it this, if you will, adoration of his person. You got to adore him. If he is preeminent in your life, then you're going to spend some time adoring him. So I want to ask you this question. How do you show your love for him? How do you show him? How do you praise him? Oftentimes on Facebook, we'll see a, a, little, uh, a little comment, praise the Lord. Or somebody will send a text out, praise the Lord. I've often wondered, does that really praise him? Praise the Lord. 
If you typed in, go to the store, does that go to the store? You say, what are you getting at? I'm asking you this question because it's important for us to understand how do you praise him? How do you show him that you adore him? How do you adore him? Obviously, it's with words that you say. It's with telling other people what he has done for you. It's with telling him what you think of him and how much you love him. But it's also by your giving. It's how you give either of your gifts the alabaster box, if you will, or by your expressions and by your emotions. This woman, the Bible tells us, was emotionally involved in this. By the way, a lot, you know, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people who try to avoid and they try to subvert their emotions when it comes to worship. I want to remind you that the Bible says that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. There's a whole lot of churches that have the truth and they've, they forgot about the spirit part, the emotional part. And there's a lot of people who are into the emotional part and they've discarded the truth. And I'm telling you, the Bible tells us we're to have a balance in both areas, that we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Here's a woman who knew who Jesus was. Here's a woman who knew what Jesus had done. And here is a woman, because he had the preeminence in her life, she spends the time just adoring him. And it's obvious that she loves him. It's obvious. He makes comment about it. It refers to love. But she is adoring him. Adoring him. Statistics say that about 5 to 7% in the community, 5 to 7% of adults in the United States, actually give 10% of their giving to the Lord, 10% of their income to the Lord, or practice what we call tithing. 5 to 7%. That number increases when you get into qualifying people as evangelicals. That is, as people who say, I have a personal commitment with Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I have been born again. The number increases. Are you ready for this? To a whopping 24%. 24%. Now, I will say this to our church members. We are a little bit higher than that, but not much. That's right. You say, what do you get? Can that be? Can we truly, my question is this, can you adore him? Can he have the preeminence in your life without you honoring him? This woman comes and what she brings is quite costly. We know this from other texts in the scriptures. She brings this fragrant oil that was not cheap, man. This was a sacrifice for her. She comes and she brings it and she pours it out, hear me now, generously. Our church does something quite unique, and if you're a guest here today, you've noticed that we applaud during the time that we call the offering time. But you know what I've noticed in two years I've been here? That applause has gotten uh, a little less and a little less. It's true. You say, why is it? I don't know why that is, except that maybe we're into a little bit of status quo. Maybe we're into a little bit of formality. Maybe we're into just doing things out of routine. Is it because we really believe that this is a great opportunity for us to give back to God and that God loves a cheerful giver? I hope you don't lose that. I hope you keep that and I hope you understand it. Amen? But it is difficult to applaud that if we do not participate in that. Amen? It's difficult to say, yeah, that's right, now it's time. I hope you give a lot. Because I ain't giving nothing. I hope you give something. Amen? 
I know, it's first Sunday of the year. That's a terrible way to start, isn't it? We praise him with our lips. We praise him with our deeds. We praise him. You understand, you, you've probably read the, uh, the, the books that have been written about love languages. You understand another way that we show our love is through acts of service. And so I ask you, do you serve him? Do you serve him? It's another way we show our love and appreciation for who he is. We find out there's a need and somebody needs to fill that need. And rather than praying, somebody else take it. When we're busy praying about it, God speaks to our heart and says, how about you? How about you? What can you set aside? What can you do differently? If he has the preeminence, are you hearing me? If he has the preeminence, he will have our adoration. There's a third thing on the list. You knew that because you got four blanks, right? Number three on the list, appreciation for his pardon. Appreciation for his pardon. Now, I don't, I don't know uh, if this is true about you, but um, uh, the older that I get, it seems the more I have a tendency to forget. Anybody here, some of you don't remember what I just said, do you? <laughs> What did he say? What he's talking about? <laughs> Appreciation. Jesus opens up the conversation with Simon and he starts with a parable. And his parable is about two people who owe a debt. And he says one has a debt of 500 denarii, the other of 50. Now, a denarii was about a day's wage. So you can figure it up. Whatever it is you make, some of you, some, uh, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year, so you can figure this up. But uh, uh, the, uh, uh, nobody said amen. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, you, uh, you figure it up. One person uh, had almost two years worth of wages that he owed. That's what it amounted to. The other person, about two months. So I want you to imagine that, that this is you. One of these is you. Because in the story, actually what Jesus is saying to Simon is, Simon, you probably view yourself as the man who doesn't owe much because you're this self-righteous dude. Am I right? But this woman, this woman, she owed a lot. She owed a lot. Yeah. Now, who is this woman? Most believe, and I happen to be one of those that believe, this is probably Mary Magdalene. There is another story in the scripture that, that involves Mary, of uh, uh, the, the sister of Lazarus, who would have come and anointed Jesus also with an alabaster box. But that Mary would have never been called the sinner woman that this woman was called. Not her, but Mary Magdalene. Would she have been called such? You know, we learn about Mary Many of you know this, in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 9, she was the first one to see the resurrected Jesus. I love this story. Mary Magdalene. What do we know about her? The Bible says in Mark 16 verse 9, Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Now I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I want you to... Think about this for just a minute. Have you ever encountered somebody that was demon-possessed? I have. I've done it on a couple of occasions. It's not something that I want to talk much about, and it can be a very frightening experience. 
But I've never encountered anybody I thought was possessed with seven demons. If a person is possessed with one demon, they can live a very horrible, horrific, violent life. If a person is possessed by seven, I started to say, can you imagine? But I don't think we can. I don't believe we can. The maniac of Gadara was possessed by so many, he, he referred to himself as legion. Thousands of demons who went out and possessed the swine once they were cast out of him. But, but the point is this, that here is a woman whose life was, was a horrible life. We don't know what all she was involved in. We just know that seven demons controlled her life. But something happened one day. She met Jesus and Jesus set her free. And hear me now, she never got over it. See, our problem is we got over it. Some of us, we got over it. Yeah, there was a day when we were thrilled. There was a day when we were so excited. Yeah, we would have grabbed a squirt gun and charged hell. That was the day, that was back there when we got saved. We remembered what he did for us, but over time, we've fallen into the little status quo, routines, and we have forgotten what he did for us. I hope you haven't missed the subliminal lesson behind the parable. Jesus said one owed 500 and the other 50. And when there was nothing that either could repay. You see, that's a picture of salvation. When there is nothing you and I can do about the debt that we owed. When there is nothing you and I could do about our own redemption. When there is nothing you and I could do that could redeem ourselves. The Bible says he forgave them both. Do you see what that means to Simon? If Simon is the one that owed a lot less, Jesus is saying, did you know forgiveness is available for you too? That's what he's saying. It's available. It's available. Appreciation. How do you show your love? Did you know love can only be seen by the act that it prompts? Now some of you, uh, some of you men... Uh, you may have used this before. You say, well, you know, I don't have to say I love you. I'll just show you. Amen, preacher. Amen. Well, thank God. God told us he loved us, and he showed us he loved us. And men, you ought to say it as well as show it. But the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it is one thing to tell God you love him. It is another to show him that you love him. And here this woman is. She's never gotten over this. Jesus, in his own, in his own uh, uh, explanation for what has gone on, and Simon in his answer, I suppose uh, that he who forgave uh, more is the one. You've rightly judged, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You know what Jesus said? She's, she's appreciative. She never got over what I did for her. See, her life has been changed. She's been, she's been born again. The demons have been cast out. Her, she went through a radical difference in her life. 
and she never got over it. And here she is thanking God and praising God and adoring God. And here you are, Simon, thinking to yourself all about her. And so Jesus does something in this text I want to share with you. I find it remarkable, just interesting, that not only does Jesus know and say what the woman does, he knows and says what Simon does not do. Simon, let me tell you what you didn't do. Do you think he sees when we ignore him? Do you think he knows when we've put something else before him? Do you think he's aware of whether or not he has the preeminence? Well, I know you love the Lord. I don't question that. Not at all. I know you love him. You're here on probably what only amounted to an hour's worth of sleep last night. And you're in church. And praise God for that. You started the year off right. But the question is not, do you love him? The question is, how much do you love him? You see, there are degrees to love. We look at each other and we say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But really, there are degrees of love. You probably love your spouse more than you do the brother or sister in Christ next to you over there. I would, I would imagine you love them, but not as much as you do your own children and your own family. You, you say, what are you getting? I'm saying there are degrees of love. Remember what Jesus said to old Peter? Peter had been out there fishing, and, and Peter came in after his denial, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, do you love me? But that's not all he said. He said, do you love me more than these? There is great debate over what that phrase meant more than these. Was he asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Or was he asking Peter, do you love me more than you love fishing? Do you love me more than you love your own self and your own life? Do you love me more? Then all I know is he asked him three times, do you love me? But the first time, do you love me more than these? So I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, not do you love the Lord, but I ask you how much do you love him? Because if he's preeminent, hear me, he is above all else. Amen. He's above all else. All else. You cannot be the husband you need to be if he is not first. You cannot be the wife you need to be if he is not first. You cannot be the parent you need to be if he is not first. You cannot be the person in the community, the citizen, if he is not first. You cannot be the teenager that you ought to be if he is not first. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it all begins with him having the preeminence that Jesus is above all. She never got over what Jesus did. Have you? I was saved when I was seven. I, um, I didn't have some kind of, you know, I went off to Bible college, I started hearing all these great testimonies, you know, one guy got, well, I used to do this much drugs, and I used to drink, and used to do all, and I'm thinking, man, I wasn't a drug addict or a drunkard when I was seven. <laughs> I don't even have a testimony, I guess. I don't know what to do. I don't know what testimony is. And then I started realizing, wait a minute, you don't have to do all that stuff. There's a testimony in avoiding it. God can see you through it. He can navigate you through. You don't have to be like everybody else is to be able to say that he delivered you. You can be able to say that he kept you out of it. 
say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying don't ever get over what he did for you. Because you and I had nothing to pay. You and I were on our way to hell. I remember as a little boy, I remember hearing, listen, I didn't get saved because I heard heaven was so great. I got, I got saved because I heard hell was so horrible. Yes. That's what happened in my life. I, I just heard I didn't have to go there. And the way not to go there was to ask Jesus to be my savior. I said, I want that. I wasn't the brightest bulb in the box, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I knew that. Right. Huh? Appreciation. Greater love is no one than this, Jesus said, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, he said. John chapter 15. He showed his love. He showed his love. Do we show ours? In this is love, the Bible says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and then verse 19. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love him, verse 19 says, because he first loved us. You couldn't even love God were it not for the fact that he loves you. Right. Appreciation for his pardon. And last of all, I want to give you this point. Write it down if you will, please. Number four, the fourth indicator is what I'm going to call an alteration for his purpose. And I want you to listen very carefully. Oftentimes, last year, people would say to me, Pastor, I've got all these notes on these first few points. And then this last point, it's like nothing. I just got the one point. And that's it. There's nothing there. You don't, you don't go in. That's because I run out of time. <laughs> but I haven't done that today, and so I'm going to give you the last point. And you can write down some stuff. Let's talk about what this means. I, I got to looking at this story, and I thought, you know, there's something to, there's, there's something to what Jesus is saying to this woman at, at the very end. Let me, let me just, let me talk about this a minute with you. It, it's, it really is so, so important that we understand. My, my first thought was, Jesus looks at her and he says, he says, your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And I thought, he's reminding her that she's a child of his. Now she's remorseful. She's got tears streaming down her face. She's trying to understand. And, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, when, when there's true repentance and appreciation toward God, you are emotionally involved in it. That's going to happen. So here this woman is. And he's saying to her, and, I, and, and at first I thought, Maybe she's trying, now, now bear with me a minute here, okay? Maybe she's trying to relive the salvation experience. Maybe she's not able to forgive herself. God forgave her, but she can't forgive herself. That's a problem sometimes we face, would you agree? And then I was reminded of the book of Hebrews where often we find that same type thing where, you know, some of us just need to move on now in our life. God saved you. Now you need to live out what God has for you. And I started looking at this and I thought, that's, that's it. Here's what he's saying. Let me start by telling you something. You're a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. You belong to him. All that past stuff, it's past stuff. Now, Go, he says, in peace. Go. That's the same word he used to his disciples before he ascended up on high. It's the same thing we call the Great Commission. We, we believe conveyed to you and I. It's that part of the scripture where he said, go into all the world and teach them. Preach the gospel and teach them all those things that I've commanded you. So go, he said. 
I began to look at that and I started thinking to myself, you know what some of us do as Christians? We kind of wallow in our past and, and we want that salvation experience all over again. And God is looking at us saying, wait a minute, you were already, that's already been taken care of. You've been born again. Those sins have been taken care of and forgiven. Now what you need to do is get up and live out your Christian life. Yeah. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. So get up and go. Don't sit here and, 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 and revel in all of this junk from the past. Now, this is an important thing for us to note. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. May I read it to you? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me pause a minute. Say, preacher, did you just read what I think you read? I did. You can go back and look at it again. It's the word of God. It's right there. But here's the next part we need to understand. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Listen, there's room at the cross for everybody. There's enough blood of Jesus to take care of anything and everything. And some of us were just as deep in debt with our sin debt as anybody else has ever been. Such were some of us. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. That's what it used to be, but I'm not that anymore. Thanks to the grace of God... I'm not that anymore. Now, I want to share with you what is probably one of my favorite verses of Scripture. You, you get that a lot, don't you? It's all, I love all of them, man. But this is one I use probably more than any other verse of Scripture, especially in counseling. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 13. But I want to say to you, we often take this passage and we cut it short. And there's more to it. And I want to give you the more to it part today, okay? So follow with me a moment. Verse 13. It's a great verse, very applicable to today. It's Philippians 3.13, not 4.13, but 3.13. And it reads this way. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Now let me pause a moment. What Paul is saying is, I've not arrived. I, I don't have it all figured out, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and we're not perfect. But this one thing I do. Now, I can handle one thing. I, 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 sometimes I get, I get a little uh, distracted, especially if I don't have enough coffee in the morning. Sometimes I, I start traveling in too many different directions, but I can handle one thing. And Paul said, I, I like this because it's simple, simple for me. One thing I do, one thing, he said. Look at what he says. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here it is, January 1st. It's a great time of the year to talk about this. Let's forget the things that are behind and reach forward to the things. 2016 is gone, man. You can't do anything about it. Nothing. So what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let me pause for a moment. Before I read the next part, which is the part we often leave out, I want to tell you something that kind of gets under my skin. First, let me say, I love you. 
Now you know that's important before I say what I'm about to say. <laughs> I love you. I really do. But it's time we quit talking about what East Point used to be and start talking about what it can be. It's time we quit talking about the glory days and start giving the glory to God every day and exalt Him above all and see what God can do with this great church. It's time we stop living in the past and start looking for opportunities to serve Him today and the rest of this year. It's time we tap into what He has for us in the future and quit living on what He did back in yesteryear. I'm glad for the past of our church. I'm glad to hear what we used to run. I'm glad to hear of the excitement of people being saved. But I'd rather hear of people being saved this week. I'm glad to hear of the great Bible classes and the Bible studies. But I'd rather hear of new ones being started and people coming and being part of it. I'm glad to hear of the great music in the past, but I'm looking forward to the music in the future. I'm glad to hear of what God has done in the past, but I can't live in the past. i got to live now and into this year and the things that God has for us. And so I'm asking you, I'm begging you, listen to the next part of this verse. After Paul said, I have learned this one thing I'm going to do, forget those things that are past, and I'm going to reach out for these things. And then he says this, verse 15. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, hmm, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You see, the problem is until we grow, we cannot go. Until we exercise maturity of mind and maturity in our Christian faith, We're not going to do what God told this woman to do. Go. In peace. Now, if I could interpret that for you, this is what I believe he was saying to her. You're a child of God. You have been born again. Your sins have been forgiven. Quit living like you're lost. Live like you're a child of God. And mature. Develop. Forget those things which are past and reach out for those things that God has for you now. Go. Be the salt of the earth. Influence your community. Go. Be the light of the world in a dark and dying community. Go. Exercise a peace that makes others look at you and say, how? How can you do what you do and feel the way you feel? in the midst of trials and difficulties that you face and make them say, I want what you have. Go. Live in peace.